Welcome to the sermon podcast of Christ Church Medicine, a community coming home to Jesus and His Church. For more information about us, visit ChristChurchMedicine.com. Good morning. My name is Jason Jensen. I am honored to be a part of this beloved Christ Church Medicine community. You can have a seat. You don't have to stand through the whole thing here. And, uh, and I'm honored to get to bring the word for us this morning on Ascension Sunday. It is very significant for us. But I want to start by telling you something of what I love about my work. I've been working for 32 years for InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. We plant witnessing communities of students and faculty on campuses across the country, diverse groups of students on diverse kinds of campuses from the small community college to the big university like the UW. And what I love is that I get to witness miracles of hope and transformation in all sorts of people's lives. Here's a story from back when students were on campuses. That seems like a while ago now. Josh was a shy, awkward freshman, new to the university and joining in the Christian Fellowship. And the university staff, Wes, asked Josh to come out and join an outreach event in January. They were going around campus asking other students about New Year's resolutions. Not trying to force anything, just trying to have conversations of significance with students because they loved the students on the campus. Josh heard about this outreach and Josh decided not to come. He was shy and intimidated and didn't want to do something like that. But the day rolled around, and for some reason, Josh did come. That kind of thing happens a lot in student work, one way or the other. Who knows what's going to happen when the day comes? So he came to Wes, and he said, I am so nervous, I think I'm going to throw up right now. You could see the sweat beating on his forehead and his nose and his upper lip. He was just tense and anxious. Wes gave him clear instructions and prayed for him and sent him out. And Josh had a slow start wandering around, not talking with anyone. But then by the end of the time, he came up with enough courage to take a risk and initiate with someone. There was a guy named Nick sitting in the student union and Josh came and asked him, did you make any new uh, New Year's resolutions? And Nick shared that he was a transfer student, lonely, struggling with depression, new on campus, and that in fact he had made a New Year's resolution including he wanted to somehow find out how to get closer to God. So they had a conversation. They went in 
further and shared with one another. Nick opened up about his loneliness and isolation. And Josh invited him to come to a Bible study that night, and he came. And they invited him to come to a fellowship meeting the next night, and he came. And there, there was a presentation of the story of Jesus and an invitation to begin following him. And Nick gave his life to following Jesus that night. Let me ask you this, who got the better deal in that story? It's a little hard to tell, isn't it? There's something in that risk that Josh took in his own anxiety and pain. And he found God was already going ahead of him. And of course, there's something amazing in Nick discovering the life of God and beginning to enter in not only to a saving relationship with Jesus and a, the beginning of following him, but also into a fellowship of friends. Both of them experienced the transforming power of God. Let's look at the scriptures together this morning. I invite you to get out a Bible or your uh, bulletin, Wherever you can find it, we're going to look closely at the Acts passage and the Luke passage especially. Two versions of the same time. Let me pray for us as we enter into looking directly at the word. Oh, Heavenly Father, we turn our hearts to you and ask that you would shine the light of your love. Lord, here at Edgewood and in our homes, shine the light of your love on us. Lord Jesus, word of God, light of the world, show us something in your word this morning. Holy Spirit of God, well up in us. Draw us to yourself. Soften our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to ask three questions this morning about the ascension from these passages in Luke and Acts. First, what does the ascension mean in the Christian story? Second, what does the ascension tell us about Jesus? And then third, and we'll spend about half of our time on this, what matters? about that what does it matter for us so three questions what does the ascension mean in the christian story what does it tell us about jesus and what does it matter for us first what does it mean in the christian story this story seems kind of strange and mysterious and from early in my christian life i thought it was just weird right that the the levitation the clouds the hilltop what is this story and what does it mean it's clearly important because it's told twice right we read from the same author the end of the gospel of luke right after the road to emmaus that we looked at a couple of weeks ago it's the end of the gospel of luke and then Luke, the same guy, 
wrote the Acts of the, the Apostles. Fun fact, why are there two books from Luke like that? Quite likely because scrolls came in a maximum of about 30 feet, and it had to be in two parts. But Luke was amazing. If you look closely at his story in the Gospel and in Acts, it's structured and told very intentionally. And scroll one, the Gospel of Luke, ends with this story that includes the ascension. And scroll two, Acts of the Apostles, begins with that same story. It must be significant to tell it twice. Two ways I think it functions in the Christian story. First, this is the enthroning of the risen Jesus. This is the place where Jesus is drawn into heaven and we find, we say in our creed, he is seated at the right hand of God. This is the enthroning of Jesus, the drawing of the risen Jesus into heaven. And then second, this story of the ascension injects the whole narrative with anticipation. It is thick with anticipation. It's like a season-ending cliffhanger. Think of your favorite one, perhaps Harry Potter, Potter novels or some series on TV where they end a season with this thick anticipation, some mystery at the end, and you can't wait for the next one. Our family, our, our kids were growing up while the Harry Potter books were being published. And they were so into it that our whole family, at the end of one book, when we had to wait for the next one, we all had to read the next one when it came out. So we had to order multiple copies of the book. <laughs> what, what happens in a cliffhanger? Is the main character dead or not? What's coming next? What are we gonna do with the tension in the story. This is what's happening at the end of Luke and the beginning of Acts. This is what's happening in our story at the ascension of Jesus. One great lens for that anticipation is this. The ascension is the fulfillment of the story of Elijah and Elisha that we heard in the first reading tonight. So if you remember that story, Elijah is the great prophet of Israel who has a call on his life. And at the end, he's already predicting, I'm going to go away. I'm going to be gone soon. And Elisha is his protege coming along with him. And there's this tension built. Are you going to see me when I'm taken away? There's the prediction that the spirit of Elijah may be given, in fact, in a double portion to Elisha. And then when Elijah is taken up with fiery chariots and horses, Elisha does see. And Elijah's cloak falls, and at the end of the story, he does the same thing with the cloak, and they begin to make the conclusion, the spirit of Elijah 
rests upon Elisha. Now this was, this was like a, a prototypical story, a, a story that was in the soul of those who would hear what was happening with Jesus. And as Jesus ascends to heaven and the apostles look and watch him go, everything in the narrative begs for what's going to happen next? Is the spirit of Jesus going to fall on these people? Is there a double portion coming? Can you see how this story is, is injected with anticipation? In Luke, the phrase comes, you will be clothed with power from on high. In Acts, Jesus says, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, and then later you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will become my witnesses. The witnesses, the people who testify, who carry on the mission because they give what they've received. They describe what they've seen. The initiative of love from Jesus that, that Father Scott described last week, the love of God being poured out then becomes the love of God upon his people being poured out to the world. So what does the ascension mean in the Christian story? It means the enthroning of Jesus as king sitting at the right hand of the Father. And it means we live in that anticipation, in the cliffhanger tension of the Christian story. So now the second question, what does the ascension tell us about Jesus the King? In the end of the Acts passage, the angels say, This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Now this too has given me great confusion. What does that mean? Like, should we be always, you know, go outside, always look at the clouds just in case Jesus is coming there? Should we imagine him like levitating and waving and expect that coming back? It's, it seems strange in the same way. But here's what I think the emphasis was. This Jesus what Jesus? The Jesus that the story just told us about. This Jesus, the one who just ate with you. This Jesus, the one who in Luke said, I'm flesh and bone. Can't you understand that? That's the guy who will come back. The ascended Jesus is an embodied, glorified human. The ascended Jesus is a guy, not a ghost. And in fact, then, the angels say, what are you doing? Don't look at the sky. It's not about the sky or the clouds or the levitation. It's about this Jesus 
Let's notice the details in the Luke narrative, uh, verse 38 to 43. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said, you have anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. The emphasis is on touch, on hands and feet, on broiled fish. Isn't that an amazing detail to put in? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he ate it with them. Acts also emphasizes this in verses 3 and 4. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. This statement, uh, while he was staying, oh, then verse 4, and while he was staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise from the Father. That's, that phrase, while he was staying with them, also repeats the implication, while he was eating with them. It's not about the clouds, but about Jesus himself. Jesus is human, sitting at the right hand of the Father. He is Lord of all, and the guy who just touched them and ate with them. He is all-powerful and fleshly. He is God and human. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father with broiled fish on his breath. What does the ascension tell us about Jesus the King? That the ascended Jesus is a fleshly guy, not a ghost. Now what does it matter for us? going to mention three parts of what it matters for us that the anticipation matters that this Jesus this fleshly Jesus matters for us and that his call to witness matters for us so first the anticipation we live in cliffhanger anticipation right now in our part of the Christian story the ascension calls us to anticipate, to expect that we too can be clothed with power from on high and can be his witnesses. The ascension emphasizes this dual nature of living in the kingdom of God. We live in the already and the not yet. We live with Jesus ascended and anticipating Jesus coming back. The kingdom of God is here and the kingdom of God is still coming. In our communion service, we repeat it as the mystery of faith. We say Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. 
And we live in between those two. We live in this ascension scene where Jesus is glorified at the right hand of the Father. We should expect the love of God, the power of God in our lives. This is not a boring part of the Christian story right now. This is a part that involves expectation and the power and love of God moving forward in the world. Let me put this in the context of our liturgical year. The way we understand and tell the story of Jesus as the year goes along, we're now at ascension and anticipating in a week the Feast of Pentecost. The Christian story is coming full circle for us. In Christmas tide, we celebrate God becoming flesh. Then we move to the death and resurrection of Jesus in Holy Week. We come to ascension to the fleshly Jesus being drawn to the Father. And then we celebrate Pentecost, where the very life of God is poured out on the church, on us. From God become flesh to flesh returning to God to God's presence being poured out on our flesh. The anticipation matters for us and should be a part of getting us up in the morning as followers of Jesus day by day. So this Jesus also matters. It matters that Jesus is a guy, not a ghost. He is the one coming back for us. The ascended Jesus, the one who shared his wounds with us. Therefore, our bodies and our communities matter in the kingdom of God. The wounds of Jesus still exist in his glory. How much have you thought about that? The wounds of Jesus still exist. Therefore, we can find hope where things are hard where we may be broken and wounded. There is a reality to come when Christ comes again where wounds and tears will be stripped of all their power. But they don't disappear. They're somehow redeemed. They're somehow wrapped up in his story. Because the fleshly Jesus ascended, Matter itself matters and can be redeemed. Flesh is still a part of God. Our weakness can be redeemed. We can both identify with his wounds and worship him as enthroned. The fact that Jesus ascended with holes in his hands and fish on his breath says that his wounds are a part of the new creation of God that will ultimately invade all of our world, even though they were inflicted by evil. They don't go away. And this has profound implications for us as we 
bear the wounds of evil in our community, in our society, in ourselves, in our families. Our wounds and weakness and sadness, they're not separate from what God is doing in the world. Our weaknesses and brokenness may indeed, may be the consequences of horrible evil. And yet, somehow God can still work. God shows up in the midst. I think this is why the risen Jesus focuses on on touching him, on eating with him. This is the image of witness. Jesus is the faithful witness. Touch my hands and my feet. This is what Jesus is calling us into. Jesus is real. His wounds are real, and somehow that makes my reality more bearable. This Jesus matters for us. Now finally, witness matters. His invitation to be witnesses. The beauty of the Christian story and our calling to be witnesses is not triumphalism. It's not somehow the calling to inflict our story on others, to demonstrate a superior meta-narrative to others. It's not a call to go out there and win the game. It's not even a call that we are victorious despite our weaknesses and flaws. The nature of witness is not triumphalism, but intimacy. It is what Jesus practiced with his apostles on that day. Touch my hands and my feet. Come and be with me. It's me, just like you've known. God shows up in the midst of our weaknesses and flaws, and I think this is why he focuses that way. It's in our weakness that witness is born. As Jesus touches the wounds in our hands and feet, and as we invite others to come and share our wounds. Isn't that what happened with the student Josh? in the story at the beginning. He followed Jesus. He took a risky step to open up his vulnerability, his weakness of anxiety and fear. And he found Jesus in that place. And Nick as well experienced the power of God as he opened up his depression and his loneliness. Jesus came and touched his wounds and invited him further. It was in their places of brokenness and wounding that God showed himself real and tangible. He can do that for us as well. Let me close more personally. One area where this challenge of witness with wounds is real to me is around anxiety 
in a combination of uh, my own temperament and my gifting and the worst of my wounding, I am an anxious, performance-oriented person in my soul. And the patterns of an alcoholic family took that deep in my story early on. It's often difficult, and yet that place of anxiety is a place where I consistently experience the power and presence of God. In a stroke of divine paradox, uh, God has called me to a work that usually involves prayer and trying to be a non-anxious presence in the midst of very tense circumstances and relationships. I'm constantly dealing with anxious people in tense situations, trying to bring the peace of God through pastoral care and prayer. And it's really not a superhero strength sort of thing. It's a somehow God is present in my weakness sort of thing. I pray in a body full of anxiety and Jesus meets me. I walk, I listen, I worship, I serve others in prayer simply as a witness. As somehow Jesus touches my own wounds and by grace I'm invited to bring other people into it. It's constantly a very real pain in my life and also a very real beginning of redemption and a hunger for fulfillment in the kingdom of God. What's your place of brokenness or wounding that God may want to use in witness even this week? What might be your invitation to inhabit the cliffhanger anticipation of the gospel and believe that the Spirit could be poured out on you, in you, in your household, your family, your community, in the midst of your own skin? Do you have any rising sense of maybe, just maybe, God could be present in my wound in this area? Maybe, just maybe, I could invite someone else into that. I'd like to pray for us for a moment and also invite you to consider if there is something that's rising like that, that is a Pentecost moment. It is the Spirit of God inviting you to trust Him, to risk to open up your wounds, to share them with others. So you may want to consider getting prayer ministry here uh, after communion or in your home or with your family. Ask someone to pray with you through that tension that you experience, the anticipation, the place of wounding that God may raise.
Oh, Lord Jesus, we worship you in your wounds. We worship you glorified, risen, ascended to the Father. And we pray, send your spirit even now. Come, Lord, and raise in our hearts the faith that you could touch our wounds as well. And the faith, Lord, that you could use our wounds, our situation, our family, our relationships in witness to your kingdom, your power, your glory. Lord, we hold our own embodiment in our own community before you and we ask ascended Jesus send your power draw us to yourself include us in your story in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit Amen Amen